is uh, the first Sunday of the month, first Sunday of June, and also the beginning of a new sermon series uh, for us. So we're going to have a summer in the Psalms, and we're entitling it The Language of Prayer. Uh, and it has been quite some time since we have done a series in, in the book of Psalms, and so it uh, makes sense that we would begin with Psalm 1, uh, which is really an introduction to the entire book of Psalms, uh, the book of songs, Psalms being the songbook and the prayer book of God's people. And thus through it, we learn the language of prayer. It's also interesting to note that more than any other book in the Bible, the New Testament quotes Psalms, quotes Psalms more than any other book. And so clearly it is an important book for us to be in. And in particular, Psalm 1 sings of a choice, uh, the choice between two ways of life. So before we hear this part of God's Word, uh, let's go to Him in prayer. Well, Lord God, uh, as we gather this morning, we do thank You again for Your Word and for revealing Yourself to us in the very pages of the Bible. And so we look to You now, and we ask that You, by the power of Your Spirit, that You would open our eyes that we might see Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Well, again, we're looking at Psalm 1. And one of the things that you'll notice is that it is primarily about a, a representative example of a godly person, of someone immersed in God's grace. And so, with that in mind, I invite you now to hear the Word of God. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And this is God's word. Well, Psalm 1 makes it very clear that there are two ways to live, uh, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. As I was looking at the psalm, I couldn't help but be reminded of a particular scene from that 1999 a classic sci-fi action film, The Matrix. So yes, I can tell you know which one I'm referring to, Morpheus holding his hands out and asking, which will you choose, the red pill or the blue pill? Reality or deception? True freedom or destructive bondage? Which will you choose, 
the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. Well, again, it's Communion Sunday, and what I want us to do as we prepare to come to the table is I I want us to focus uh, most of our attention on the red pill, so to speak, the way of truth and life. But first, I want to make a few comments about both ways. Because if we look, as we look at this psalm, it's, it's important that we start by defining our terms, okay? Because there's, there's often confusion about these two words, uh, righteous and wicked. Uh, we, we too often think in terms of good versus bad. Uh, too often we make the mistake of thinking we're good, those of us in the church, and they're bad, those people outside the church. But that's an, an incorrect view. Uh, Simply put, uh, Reformed theologian John Frame says this about righteous people. People not charged with their sin are righteous people. In other words, those whose sin is not counted against them. And thus, of course, that means that those charged with sin are unrighteous or wicked people, for their sin is still counted against them. And so the distinction is not between good people and bad people, but between forgiven people and unforgiven people. Between those who have put their trust in Jesus and are clothed with His righteousness and those who don't and aren't. Well, it's also important to remember, as as several commentators point out, it's important to remember that the psalmist himself was a true believer, uh, just in the the same sense that Christians are believers today. Okay, he believed God's promises and trusted in God alone for salvation. Now, the primary difference is that he, as well as every other Old Testament believer, he looked forward to the promised Redeemer who was to come, Whereas as as Christians today, we look back at the Redeemer who has already come and will come again. Okay, well now I want to just touch on the way of the wicked for a moment. Uh, And and though illustrated here, it's not really explained. But what we do see, what is very clear, we can see it in verse 1, is that the way of the wicked is rooted in brokenness. It is rooted in the broken values and priorities of a fallen, rebellious world. And here's the thing. Whatever you are rooted in is what colors your life. Okay, whatever you're rooted in, that's what colors your life. So I want you to think back to elementary school for a moment. You know, that's when we got to do the best science experiments. And, and the one that I really loved and, and that, that comes to mind is the, the celery in food coloring experiment. Do you remember that one? And, and so that's where we see that plants take up water sort of like drinking through a straw. And so you get a, a bunch of, of stalks of, of celery with the leaves on, and, and then you make a fresh cut along each of those Uh, celery stalks. You put them in uh, different glasses of water, and then you add food coloring. The darker, the better. Put red, you put blue, you put green, and then you come back the next day, and what has happened? You see that the colored water has traveled up the veins of the celery. 
And it has colored everything, the whole stalk and the leaves as well. And so again, that is a picture of the fact that whatever you are rooted in is what colors your life. And so it matters eternally what is coursing through the veins of your heart. The way of the wicked is rooted in the poison of sin and death. This way of life will ultimately lead to destruction and death. Verse 6, the way of the wicked will perish. Verse 5, the wicked will not stand on judgment day. And why? Why won't they stand? Well, it's because they're like chaff. The psalmist likens them to chaff. Verse 4, the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Okay, chaff, the rootless, uh, weightless, uh, useless, a straw and, and husk that the wind blows away when the farmer throws the threshed wheat up into the air. That which has no substance blows away, while that which does have substance remains. Well, the chaff way of life has no substance, no hope, no meaning. And in the end, as another uh, Bible scholar says, before the judge, the wicked will not have a leg to stand on and will not be counted among God's people. But whereas the chaff person is ultimately blown away, the tree person is firmly rooted and stands strong in God's truth and is counted among God's people. So now I want us to to shift gears and, and, and put all of our focus now on the tree person, on the way of the righteous, uh, focusing on the way of, of truth and life. Again, focusing on the red pill, which of course brings us back to the matrix. So if you remember that great scene, uh, there's Neo played by Keanu Reeves. It's a dark room, a dark night, thunder and lightning outside, and it's just Neo and Morpheus. Morpheus played uh, brilliantly by Lawrence Fishburne. And Neo wants to know what the matrix is. And Morpheus holds these two pills and explains. The matrix is everywhere. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage. You take the blue pill, you wake up and believe whatever you want to believe, even though it's a lie. You take the red pill, and I'll show you truth. All I'm offering is the truth. He's offering a choice. A choice between two ways to live. Reality or deception. True freedom or destructive bondage. And so the question for us is, which will you choose? The way of the righteous or the way of the wicked? And you know, truth be told, the only real way to truly live is the way of the righteous. Righteous. 
Okay, the righteous. Again, people whose sin is not charged against them. Those are righteous people. Because here's the deal. God's Word makes clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory. No one is righteous, not even one. In other words, all are like chaff. All are wicked in and of themselves. Which is why we need the good news. And why we have the good news. And the good news, as spoken of in in 2 Corinthians 5.21, is that God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, on the cross, Jesus became chaff in our place so that we might become righteous. Jesus took on our wickedness so that in in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, the distinction is, is not between good people and bad people, but between forgiven people and unforgiven people. And those who trust in Jesus are forgiven people. Their sin is no longer counted against them. You're now clothed in Christ's righteousness. So if you've put your trust in Jesus, you are now righteous in Him. And it says that you are like a tree. A tree planted in God's truth and grace. Verse 3, you're like a tree planted by streams of water. Okay, in a a desert, like a tree planted by streams of water, and yet still yielding fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. That's what it says. And, and, And do you hear what is actually being said in those words? The tree planted in God's truth and grace, the, the tree planted in the living water of Jesus, that tree will have seasons of fruitfulness. Don't know how many, but it's as God appoints. You may have many seasons, I may have few seasons. But no matter how many seasons, it also says that we will have steady, sustained growth. Even when it's indiscernible. You know, it's like watching a kid grow up. It's just indiscernible, but they're still growing. So we're growing in grace, despite the storms of life. Not withering is a dead leaf, even in the midst of drought. This is the life that is is rooted in and led by God. It's a life rooted in God's story. His story of redemption and hope. A life growing in grace and godliness. Now, are we talking about moral perfection? No, I mean, not this side of heaven. But what we are talking about is slow, sustained growth. Growth of a godly life through a growing repentance and faith. Okay, where where we both trust Jesus and are also growing in trusting Him. In other words, we grow in daily dependence on him. You see, just as the tree is dependent on water 
in order to grow and flourish. So we are dependent on God's grace in order to grow and flourish. And we receive His grace through faith. Drinking deeply as through a straw, taking in the living water of Jesus. Through His Word and prayer, a fellowship with other believers, the sacraments, it's what theologians call the means of grace. How God communicates His grace to us, grows us in that grace. Because you see, as your roots go down deep, then we are drinking deeply from the well of life. Again, it's like the the celery and, and food coloring experiment. Except in this case, the righteous are saturated with the living water. The living water of God's grace, which courses through our veins and colors our life more and more and more. And how does this happen? How do our roots go down deep? Take a look, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose delight, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates. Okay, we were created to delight. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. We were created to delight in God. Uh, experiencing, expressing joy and gladness. But ever since the fall, we've sought delight apart from God. That's our struggle. That's our challenge. And so here the psalmist calls us back to the fountain of life, to God Himself, to know Him and be known by Him, and to flourish through Him, even in the midst of life's sorrows. Here the psalmist calls us to meditate. Uh, To meditate on on God's Word, God's ways. Who God is. What God has done. What God continues to do. And so what he's calling us to is, is, is an active, okay, not a passive, but an active, patient, persistent pondering of the gospel. Focused attention on the good news that we have in Christ. And so really what he's doing is he is calling us to chew on the truth and grace of Jesus. Just as a dog continually gnaws on a bone. Okay, that's the picture. You've seen a dog just going at it, gnawing on a bone. That's the call here, to gnaw on this good news. And so that's how we're to savor the good news as we come to this table. Slowly chewing the redemptive grace or the redeeming love as we sang earlier that's represented in this bread and this cup. But you know, it's just too easy for us to go through the motions sometimes, isn't it? I mean, as I was thinking about it being Communion Sunday, I realized that's so often the temptation for me. Sunday, I'm a Christian, I go to church. I'm a pastor, I need to show up to church. But I could just go through the motions. It's as if it's just enacting a religious ritual and leave and forget about it. And yet, friends, the invitation is to so much more. 
It's an invitation to truly taste and see the goodness of God. A God who says, I have made you to be visible and tangible people, and I am giving you a visible and tangible way to taste and see that I am good. And so as we come to the table, we have the opportunity to, to meditate on and to delight in God's Word, the living Word, Jesus And as we come, we feed on Him through faith. We feed on the truth, a focused attention, a joyful chewing on the truth of who God is and what God has done, undoing the very lies that so easily entangle us. It's an invitation to root ourselves deeper and deeper in the living water of God's grace. That said, this table is a gift. It's a gift that Jesus has given to us, a gift that He has given to His church, uh, to those who have looked to Him for the forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God, and are part of a local church that proclaims this good news. And so Jesus says to you and to me, come, come and feast on what is really real, what is truly true, what is ultimate life in me. For on the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death, His sacrificial death on our behalf, until He comes again in the fullness of His glory. Amen? Amen.